This episode of Talking Home Renovations is supported by NCARB, National Council of Architectural Registration Boards. You are listening to Talking Home Renovations with a house maven. Is it time to renovate your house, but you're worried that you don't really know what you're doing? This is an educational and entertaining podcast that will ease your fears. Or maybe you just love hearing about home renovations like I do. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I practice in Eastern Massachusetts. On the show, I interview other architects, vendors, contractors, and homeowners to gather tips and stories about home renovations. You learn about materials, systems, sustainable practices, what to expect, what to avoid, and how to make the most of the money that you'll spend on your renovation. My guest this week is Mike Maines. Mike is a residential designer and a writer from Maine. He's been involved in the Pretty Good House movement, along with Emily Motram, who you may remember from episode 62, The Pretty Good House Renovation. I talked to her last summer. Emily and Mike and their colleagues have put out a book called A Pretty Good House, A Guide to Creating Better Homes. So creating better homes is definitely a dream of mine, and I can't wait to get my copy of the book. I find it all really inspiring. I'll put the links in my show notes. And now here's my conversation with Mike. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, I am so excited to talk about your book, which I've already pre-ordered. Oh, great. And I've been waiting for. So yeah, I'm really excited to show my clients because I think this is the way I would love for the minimum for people to um, start thinking about their their homes. So when they're improving their homes, not just improving the flow and improving the look, but improving the actual performance of the home, right? So that's that's kind of my take on what the pretty good house is all about. But since you're the since you're the you know the man who knows about it, <laughs> why don't you uh, why don't you explain it to everybody? Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think you're you're already doing pretty good houses in your practice. And just before we get too far, I do want to mention I do stutter. It's a lifelong struggle. So if you hear hear me freeze up, I'll 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 push through and just it's uh, it's just an unfortunate uh, affliction and and it is what it is. So um, yeah, so the the uh, pretty good house I, I've been called the official scribe of the pretty good house approach. I didn't come up with the idea. My friend Dan Colbert uh, came up with it a little over ten years ago. Um, he and some other people started a building science discussion group in Portland, Maine, at Performance Building Supply. Um, this was sort of in the earlier days of building science. You know, lead was still a pretty hot and new thing. Passive House was brand new um, and none of us were well enough educated on it. So Dan and and a few of us started getting together once a month to just discuss things like venting roofs or foundation insulation. And just um, after a couple of years of sort of nuts and bolts discussions, Dan came in one night, he was working on his second, I think, lead certified house and just was kind kind of fed up with all the check boxes and things that our, our ways to, to sort of game the system. Others of us were into passive house where we were doing just insane amounts of foam on, under slabs and things like that. And so um, he just said, just the, these programs uh, uh, have good aspects, but they're a hard sell. Most clients won't go for it. 
um, but most of us want to do better than code minimum. So what should we actually be doing? Like just so, so it was was sort of an open question and we uh, brainstormed a list and then it was a pre pretty vigorous discussion. So we brainstormed um, another time. I wrote a, a, a blog post and posted it on Green Building Advisor and it sort of took on a life of, of, of its own at that point. Um, a lot of it is about energy performance, but it's it's also about all of the other things you talk about and a lot of us talk about and try to do. You know, don't don't build new if you can renovate. You know, keep things as small as reasonably practical. We're not um, advocating tiny homes or things like that. It's more just just along the lines of Sarah Susanka's not so big house concept. Mm -hmm. Just think about everything and try to build in a way that really optimizes things for health and comfort and dur building durability and maybe don't worry so much about all the bells and whistles that a real estate agent thinks is important, but uh, you won't actually use. Right. So if I were a homeowner and I had never heard of or never really thought about any of the high performance or the passive house or anything like that, but I, I am concerned about um, my impact on the earth. Mm -hmm. Is this, um, what can you tell me about the pretty good house that would appeal to me? Yeah, let's see. A central tenant, uh, we call it pre pretty good house 2.0 because back in 2011, um, things like the, the uh, climate crisis weren't as front and center in the news. So after the uh, mm. uh, uh, UN IPCC report in 2018, which basically told us just how much trouble we're in, we got together again and brainstormed more things. And it was kind of funny, like after eight or nine years, very little had changed, except we decided to sort of double down on on embodied carbon before we had talked a little bit about embodied energy it's just sort of you know whatever and 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 uh but we, we started focusing more on embodied carbon because there there's really two ways your your homes impact impact the earth one is through embodied carbon which a lot of people confuse with with carbon sequestering so carbon sequestering is a good thing it means we're pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and locking it away safely um, embodied carbon is actually the same thing as a carbon footprint. It's it's all of the um, all of the carbon emissions that happen before you actually actually move into the house. So like what what energy was was needed to make the metal to put on your roof or things like that. Yeah, or or moving it from one place to another, or yeah, just the manufacturer and the uh, the shipping and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The other half of our of our impact is is operational carbon. So there's there's embodied carbon and operational carbon. Operational is what we use when we're actually using the house. So most energy efficiency measures um, are focused pretty exclusively on, op on reducing operational carbon, which often has a very long payback period uh, versus embodied carbon. Basically, you've spent, spent all your embodied carbon before you've even moved in. And with the time constraints of the carbon of the of the climate crisis we really need to be focusing more on embodied carbon or upfront carbon emissions than we do on the long-term carbon savings mm -hmm. i had a friend who was making the argument to me that a glass enclosure on a shower should never be used because of its it's um very heavy on the carbon emissions at you know when it's being made and that it has to be shipped by the closest one to massachusetts is Pennsylvania, apparently. So she has this whole argument about that, but then versus the vinyl shower curtains. So sometimes it's not so 
well, for one thing, the final shower curtains cost about $30 and the, the glass is like $2,500 or more, you know? So there's, there's the price, but then how do you, how do you measure things like, like that? Because the production of vinyl produces a certain amount of carbon mm -hmm. and it's just bad for the environment, I guess. Although some people seen on, um, which one was it? Is it Certainteed where they, they talk about how green vinyl siding is? Oh, I, I guess I haven't seen that, um. But yeah, I, I, in general, sort of the, the green building world has their things they like and things they don't like. And I, I try to research and think for myself in, in these things. So uh, although I don't know any architects or designers who uh, who like vinyl siding and green builders often don't. Yeah. The fact is it, it performs really well. So in terms mm. of building building durability, it, it ventilates itself. So it, so it's actually good for a marginal, a marginally effective wall assembly. It can be a good choice. It's inexpensive. So you may spend less on your siding and put that money into things like insulation or air sealing or better windows. Mm. That said, I like, I like really nice, elegant, high-end siding, but it, it can get quite expensive. So yeah. it, if it's a trade-off, I can see it. In terms of of actually measuring the carbon that's sort of that's my next challenge i think is to under is is to learn more carbon accounting programs there are a few it's still a pretty new industry to try to count embodied carbon accurately because things like in massachusetts it's getting the uh, gl glass is coming from pennsylvania so it has x uh, kilograms per kilogram is is the way we discuss uh carbon emissions you know in Maine, it's only only 100 miles north of you, but that that increases or ch changes that calculation. The uh, carbon accounting program I'm most excited about at the moment is called Beam, uh, Building Energy Something Something, uh, by friends of mine who are really into this carbon thing. Primarily, Chris Magwood is a builder who's who's really really researched this stuff heavily. In terms of like how do you make a decision between a glass shower enclosure and vinyl, it's 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 not black or white and that's both the good thing and the bad thing about the pretty good house approach is we're not um, there are no check boxes, there are, there are no yes or no there are, there are a few yes or no questions but even those it's sort of it, it's it's more like a voluntary program or a guide to help decision making so like you might say that vinyl shower curtains uh have plasticizers which so or in creating the vinyl itself or polyvinyl chloride uh releases dioxins and other other toxins and then adding the plasticizers which off gas over time, uh, those are um, endocrine disruptors and so bad for your health. And then at some point that curtain is disposed of and so then it's locked away forever. So, and it does have a carbon footprint or embodied carbon or upfront carbon emissions because petroleum is really pretty, it's pretty easy to turn petroleum into membranes and a, and a curtain is really thin. So I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the embodied carbon would be, but it would be you know, modest versus a glass enclosure obviously is much more durable, will last for last pretty much forever until you break it. Um, easy to clean, it's not off-gassing, it's not gonna grow mold unless you really try hard. Uh, so good for indoor air quality. It, it has a lot of benefits, but it takes a lot of energy to melt sand and turn it into glass. So is that, is the trade-off worth it or not? Um, and I think sort of my, my where I've arrived personally at um, in terms of design, I think matches the pretty good house pretty closely, which is first prioritize occupant health. Um, don't do anything that's that's going to be be really bad for the occupants. Uh, second to that is 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 worker health. You know, uh, materials that release a lot of silica when you're cutting them, or 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 formaldehyde, or or, or isocyanates, things like that. 
um, are bad. So uh, first, prioritize health. Second, prioritize building durability. You know, building high performance can make a building more vulnerable to mistakes. So you have to understand what you're doing versus the way we've been building since, you know, 1940 didn't really change much until recently. So don't do anything that will negatively affect the building durability or resilience. And then if you can solve all those, and then you have an option between a material uh, such as insulation, one that's good for the environment and one that's bad for the environment, and they both cost the same, then uh, why would you choose the one that's bad for the environment? Choose the one that's good. If the one that's good, that's less bad for the environment is much more expensive, then it becomes a trade-off and a discussion. And and as, as far as I know, the pretty good house approach is the only sort of program that even considers the cost of things. Whereas um, I used to be a builder, now I'm a designer. I've never had a project in hundreds of projects. Every project I've ever had has a budget mm. that limits things, but I don't know of any programs, you know, Passive House or Lead or Energy Star, none of those consider cost, yet cost is one of the biggest things we think about when designing and building a house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do find that in the choices that people have made, uh, budget has had a lot to do with it and a lot of the reason why they didn't end up going with the more, what I consider to be the more favorable choice. We're going to take a break to talk about our sponsor for this episode, the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, also known as NCARB. For those of you who don't know, NCARB's a nonprofit organization that's made up of the 55 licensing boards in the U.S. and its territories. So if you're a licensed architect, you would be going through NCARB at some point and also possibly have an NCARB certificate, which allows you to apply for reciprocal licensure in all the different states and jurisdictions. So they put out a survey called the Analysis of Practice Study, and it's your opportunity to shape the future of architecture. Honestly, if you're a licensed architect, why not just fill out this survey? I'm sure you've thought about these issues that they bring up in the survey quite a lot, and now's your chance. So whether you're an architect or you work with architects, NCARB wants to hear from you. So make sure your voice is heard. Go on over to ncarb.org slash AOP. That's N-C-A-R-B dot org slash A-O-P. Now back to our conversation. Tell me about this, the book itself. Is it like a workbook or is it an instruction book or is it a book about the concepts? How would people use it? Yeah, um, we struggled with a tagline, but we ended up with um, a guide to creating better homes. And each of those words was carefully chosen. So it's a guide. There's a lot in it that is um, explains why we would want to do this. You know, why build more energy efficiently? Why choose choose these materials? Why build smaller? Some of it is just sort of a, a, a general education thing. You know, it's uh, the authors are two architects, a builder and a designer. And so it's sort of our, our pooled experience of these are the questions that our clients ask over and over and over again. So let's just answer it in a book. And then we do have some some examples of, of what to do, but what to do varies so much with climate and style and client by client tastes, you know, aesthetics that we, we try to not get too prescriptive. Um, I could see some a, a supporting entity, you know, a website or something could have details that were sort of pretty good house specific details for the southeast versus the pacific northwest or things like that mm-hmm. but because all of us are in maine uh, the authors and pretty good house was was born in maine you know uh, uh there is a new england bias but we really tried to ke- keep it universal and we have um at the end of each of the 12 chapters we have a case study that sort of shows different things you know a house in different locations you know the desert versus the uh, southeast we have a couple of renovations we have 
uh, one garage that's not a house at all. It's an outbuilding. So just to sort of sort of covers like, you know, what, you know, what are the decisions we made? Why is this a pretty good house? You know, why is this not a perfect, pretty good house? Because there's never a perfect project. There's always trade-offs. So like what trade-offs uh, were made and why? So I think, I think we have good examples there to follow as well. It's about, the book is about 250 pages, um, about there's around 250 images. So we, we hope it's a pretty comprehensive resource as a starting point to sort of educate. We talked about it a lot, but I'm um, ended up with our target audience being a client or potential client, but then with plenty of information for builders and designers. We combined architects and designers into the uh, term design. So designers, builders, and clients are, are, are sort of the uh, three legs of the stool. Mm. And it's really meant to help pretty much anybody, but our idea is that we'll get the most traction if we can turn clients and potential clients into fans, yeah. then they'll tell their architect that that's what they want. Yeah, I think you're right. That's where it kind of has to start with a client really wanting that because it's not, Yeah, I have personally run into a lot of contractors in this area who, what, how can I put it? Who kind of put, who, <laughs> who um, they kind of talk them out, the clients out of measures that we have discussed because that's not the way they always do it or it's not really necessary or it's more expensive or it's fine the way, the alternate way that would be less expensive. So I feel like if the client is convinced that that's what they want to do, then it's more likely to happen. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's, it's, it's still not guaranteed to happen. We all have, uh, have struggles. Just um, construction is a inherently conservative field, um, or we've all had experiences where we've gotten excited about a, a new product that's supposed to uh, be the greatest and we use it and, and fall on our face and get gun shy about it. So things like different ways of venting roofs or different materials or, or assemblies that don't have spray foam, things like that can scare builders or builders who aren't familiar with it, like exterior insulation is often new to builders up here and 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 because builders do have the the direct connection with the client usually it's like we can recommend whatever we want on the design end when it comes to construction the builders have the last say so yeah one or again this is is the pretty good house approach based on lots of lots of brainstorming and crowdsourcing and it's also what the authors uh, prefer to do is to sort of create a pseudo design build company early on so you uh, practice integrated design, get a builder on board early. So the builder mm -hmm. is invested all the way along. Uh, personally, what I uh, one or one aspect of that for me is to understand what a builder likes to do and doesn't like to do. If a builder likes double stud walls, then that's perfect. We'll just do, do double stud walls. If they're big fans of foam, uh, foam is a great insulator, but it has downsides. Uh, mm -hmm. So we'll talk early on and try to try to not design ourselves into a corner. We, we try, try to make it a collaborative approach. And that's the pretty good house approach, really, because design flows into construction. It's, it's two sides of a coin. And you're asking the client, who's the least educated, knowledgeable member of the team, uh, mm. uh, to make the big decisions. So then it becomes who's a better arguer. And so it's just it's, it's better when everybody's working towards the same goals. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So uh, if I were interviewing contractors for a particular project, because I also like to have them on earlier in the mm -hmm. process so that we're all working on the same project together, how yeah. what would I ask contractors or how would I figure out if they would be willing to um, do things a little differently than they have? Or should yeah. I only choose someone who's already experienced in it? Um, 
the, the older I get and the more projects to do, the less excited I am about working with contractors who I don't know at all, just because there, there's, there, there's an unknown amount of education needed. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so, so I like to sort of develop relationships with builders who I can, can work with repeatedly. None of us are, are perfect, but if I know this, this builder is going to try to convince them of X, then, then, then we can, can focus more on that. Um, when it's a new builder, um, I usually just, just sort of quiz them a little bit um, ab- about building science, like ask what kind of wall assemblies and materials they like to use, what brands of windows and doors do they use, um, are, they, are, they, are they more inclined to use you know, natural materials versus synthetic low maintenance materials. And I, I, I try to do it in a way that's not too, too leading. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably mm. cl- clear what I want the answer to be, but just I'm trying to, to suss out what are their preferences and are, are, are we close enough to bridge any gaps? Um, mm. I don't always, always get it right. And I often design projects that are clean handoffs and who knows what happens, but I, I try to stay involved throughout construction. So as, as changes come up, um, it can be a group discussion. So one of my interests is possibly taking old houses that have, you know, from the 17, 1800s. So that kind of old, maybe not 1600s, but <laughs> even a 1600s house, could you possibly, uh, you know, the insulation is always an issue because there isn't any. So yeah. what do you do with that? Is it possible to add exterior insulation to a house that already has certain depth to its uh, sills and all the rest of it? What would you do? What would you do with that, or is that just getting it as good as possible in that situation? Yeah, that's where um, uh, it's easier to come up with sort of prescriptive solutions for new construction, and we we do that in the book uh, based on building science corp recommendations. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when it's a renovation, it it really depends on the project. You know, a renovation may be just just replacing siding, or maybe. Uh, siding and windows, um, or it could be a gut rehab, and what what level of work you're doing sort of informs how how far do you go. Um, I also end up doing a lot of renovations, a lot of older homes. Um, uh, my own house was was built in 1830, so what uh, what I recommend for houses like ours that are often built on ru- rubble foundations. So that's one place I've tried. I've I think I've I've researched it probably more more than pretty much anybody and have settled on that's the place where closed cell spray foam is is the right material for the job just mm. uh, the newer formulation is not quite as bad as the old formulation um, okay. of, of closed well, that's cell something. foam yeah and, <laughs> and above grade um, with pretty much any age house including new houses but especially old houses that were just uh, they weren't made to be heated to 70 degrees with 50% relative humidity all winter. Just uh, the way we live in our houses now introduces a lot more moisture than it used to when the house was built. O- old houses, the way they dealt with that was to not insulate it. They were often air sealed to a degree with plaster, sometimes uh, two layers. Sometimes they'd actually plaster the back side of the sheathing as well as the interior. Hmm. Um, uh, which d- does a lot to slow heat flow. Um, when you add insulation, it slows heat flow, but it doesn't necessarily slow moisture travel. So that's where you often will end up with peeling paint. If you insulate an old house, you'll have peeling paint. So at, at minimum, what I would do, or what I would recommend is if you insulate an old house, you need to uh, ventilate the uh, s- siding with a rain screen approach 
mm. which basically introduce a gap between the sheathing and and WRB in the back of the siding, so both the wall can dry and the, and the cladding can dry. Um, while you're doing that, though, it's a good opportunity to add exterior insulation, which can be new foam, recycled foam, mineral wool, or or wood, wood fiber. Um, mm. Any of those make good insulation. When possible, I think it's safer, especially on an old house, to use a vapor open exterior insulation. So although the best bang for the buck is usually foil-faced polyiso foam, that is um, that's the least the least uh, able to dry out and then also the foil i found makes the house into a faraday cage so it can really impact uh, cell phone service mm. um, so i think vapor open exterior insulation is better the lowest carbon vapor open insulation is rigid mineral wool i mean i'm sorry rigid wood fiber insulation mineral wool is also good but it's actually relatively high embodied carbon because again like with glass glass you're actually melting rock to create the insulation and, and that takes a lot of energy aside from from that that it's a great great insulator but so wood fiber insulation is a real, is really good on the exterior uh right now that's that has to be imported from europe but um it'll 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 be available produced in maine here uh within a few months mm, interesting yeah well so would you say your book is for everybody or I think everybody should read it. I don't know if everybody will enjoy it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think um, our hope is that everybody can learn something from it, no matter where you are on 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 the on the scale. Um, if you're a completely uneducated homeowner, it's going to be very dense, but have a lot of the information um, you need to to choose your team to design and build the house. If you're a a well experienced uh, architect, designer, or builder but you're not into the green green end of things, you know, environmentally responsible and healthy and those kinds of things, um, I think you'll learn a lot. If you're already building living building challenge houses and passive houses, there's, there's, there's less to learn, but I think you might um, still find the philosophy appealing in your, and it may help your clients bridge the gap from if there's code minimum is the worst, worst house you can legally build and a living building challenge house so far there in 20 years there have been two built it's it's nearly impossible to do it's possible but it's very hard um in between there is a balance of do, doing better than the worst worst you're allowed to and extremely high performance just what's what's a practical level what decisions uh, should you make how 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 would you go about making those decisions that's that's the kind of kind of thing we're trying to get at great well Thank you for writing the book. I'm really excited to give it to people and then maybe give it to prospective clients or people who've just signed on. And then we could have a little uh, book discussion Yeah. after. So thanks for doing that work. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you to NCARB for their support of this podcast episode. Visit ncarb.org slash AOP and contribute to the analysis of practice survey today. Thanks for listening. I hope you subscribe to this podcast. If you don't, please head over to wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. And if you have time to write a review, that would be so helpful. Please contact me for any reason at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. I love to hear from people. You can also join my Facebook group, which is Talking Home Renovations Together. And I'm on there with a bunch of people who have also been on the show, have been guests on the show, and other architects and homeowners and contractors. And so we can just talk about whatever issues people might have right there in the Facebook group. 
If you're on Clubhouse, come join me, 10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday mornings. There is so much information on my website, which is TalkingHomeRenovations.com. Head over there for transcripts, episode enhancements, other information. You want to be a guest, that's where you'll find that information in the application. This podcast is a member of Gable Media, which is the largest AEC network on the planet. Check out the other content on the network at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. This podcast is a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care.